the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome once again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. We do this show every weekend and always delighted when you join us. Alan Dempsey uh, does our engineering and does it superbly. Uh, Andrew Herdliska is our producer. And here in the first segment, Gordon Smith is with us. He's the president of Ambrose University and Seminary in Calgary, Alberta in Canada. And we're going to talk about his book, Consider Your Calling, uh, the uh, question for really discerning your vocation. That's a big topic. Gordon, I'm really delighted we can visit, and I'm uh, looking forward to our chat. Well, very pleased to be with you and hope that I can be helpful to your listeners. Well, that's great. Tell me, first of all, the uh, overall view of your book and why it's important. Well, the overall sense of the book is that uh, through the course of our lives, uh, few, if any of us, uh, do not face the reality that we're going to make make multiple transitions. I, I mean, when I was a young man, people talked about making seven seven career transitions in the course of an adult life. Now I think it's happening much more frequently in a very fluid economy. And so one of the things we have to be able to do is uh, navigate those life transitions and hopefully do it well. And then secondly, I think the big thing about the book is the assumption that um, our lives are given to us. We don't choose them. They're given to us. They're a gift from God. And that our calling is something that we respond to. We're responding to the initiative of God. And thus, I want to speak what you might say against the notion in our culture that we live self-constructed lives, that we choose our own lives, but rather to insist that we live our lives in response to the initiative of God. Well, there's six key questions uh, that come through this book, Gordon, and uh, let's get started. Question number one, what on earth is God doing? And, uh, and that question assumes the following, that God is the, you might say, great worker, the creator and redeemer of all things. And the, the premise, the premise behind that question, what on earth is God doing, is that our work is but a participation in the work of God. And therefore, we need to ask the prior question, what is God doing, so that our work can then be a participation in what God is doing in our world, in our communities, in our societies, in our churches, and so on. But the thing I think we need to press against, and I don't know whether it's typical for all of your hearers, but very much it's the case in my world, is that people assume that uh, when we use the phrase, the Lord's work or God's work, we mean some kind of religious work. And what I want to insist on is that God is calling people into every sphere and sector of society, into business, the arts, and education, and that therefore the crucial thing is to say, what on earth is God doing as the prelude? There are more questions coming. But as the premise to, to, to expand our imaginations of the multiple ways in which God is at work in our world. Question number two, who are you? 
It's well, quite, that's a deep I, thought, I isn't it? I almost want to say, sorry, go ahead. That's a deep thought, really. Well, it is very much, and that goes back to the, to the ancient principle that wisdom is found in the knowledge of God and in the knowledge of self. Because the second question is so very important, because I think it's easy for us to get excited. I mean, it's easy for me to go to a symphony orchestra and be very moved by what I see and think, oh, I'm called to be a symphony orchestra conductor. Or here on campus, we have a guest speaker who's involved in uh, poverty relief efforts in Bangladesh, and the students get deeply moved by what God is doing. And they assume that if they get deeply moved by something, that, that they see God at work in, or something external to them, that that must be God's call. And I think it's important for us to stress that, yes, it might be. So what God is calling us to do is something that captures our imaginations, but it is essential that we have a healthy perspective of ourselves. And thus, the language of Romans chapter uh, 12, for example, take a sober look at yourself. The essential counterpart to knowing God is to have an honest view of ourselves. And I don't know whether the next point is an overstatement or not, but my observation is that for most people, the greatest obstacle that they have to the capacity to discern well their callings, their vocations through the transitions of life, is whether they'll see themselves truly as they are, whether they'll look at themselves honestly and accept themselves for who they are and stop wishing that they were anybody other than who they are. So I I try to stress that with our students, uh, that each one of our students is unique an extraordinary person created in the image of God, and that they need to see themselves precisely as God made them and stop comparing themselves with others or wishing that they were anybody other than who they are. Question one was, what on earth is God doing? Question two, who are you? Uh, question three for Gordon Smith, what is your stage of life? Where, where does that and fit here, in? Yeah, here's where I lean into... Um, there's a whole uh, field of study that looks at the transitions or the typical transitions of an adult life and uh, recognizes that the kinds of issues we face in our 20s and in our 40s and in our 60s are quite different. And so that as we look at this question of vocation, it seems to me imperative that we ask, um, how are we going to wrestle with it in our 20s where the big issue is uh, the transition from being a child and a young person to being an adult and taking adult responsibility for our lives, uh, to find some distance, or the, the technical phrase is uh, differentiation from our parents, who are typically a huge presence in our lives, to get some distance from them. Um, and I, um, I, I, I sometimes jokingly say we have a parent orientation here in the fall. Uh, we have the new student orientation, but we also have the parent orientation. And one of the things I stress in the parent orientation is that these are extraordinary years for your son or your daughter as they come to a, a knowledge of what God is doing, but also a knowledge of themselves. And in order to get a feel for themselves, that second question, they need to get some distance from their parents. And so with the, the joke at that session is, now it's time for you to go home. I asked them to co go by the finance office on the way out to the parking lot, but it's time for them to go home. To live, uh, to give their, pardon me, to give their son or daughter some distance. Um, to start to kind of come to an awareness of their own self apart from their parents. In midlife, it seems to me that the big question is focus, um, that uh, by the time we get to our midlife, we begin to realize we're, we can't do anything we want to do, and we even can't do everything we want to do. The crucial thing now is, will we do what we are called to do? Will we give it focus, and will we master the craft that God has called us to? And I, I think um, you, you can consistently see a pattern here with people in midlife 
those who have found themselves and found their vocations and are investing their talent, their energy, giving focus to it, and those for whom they're still kind of meandering and wandering and haven't mastered uh, the craft to which they are called. And I, I think this is particularly a challenge in what has aptly been called an age of distraction, where we just have so little capacity for focus. And then as we move into our senior years, I'm suggesting in the book that we lean into the wisdom of the book of Proverbs and elsewhere and realize that as we move into our senior years, or I'm 62, I'm moving into my eldership, as you might say, that now the key role of those in our senior years is to be a source of wisdom and blessing to those who are a generation younger than ourselves, and that our vocations will find expression in the passing on of wisdom and blessing to the next generation. And so we learn to make these transitions ideally. We learn to make them well. That is, we, we transition from being under the authority of our parents to being young adults. We move into midlife, not, not bemoaning getting older, but embracing midlife. And then similarly, when we move into our senior years, we view these as years of grace and blessing, not something to be resisted, but actually something to be embraced. My guest is uh, Dr. Gordon Smith, president of Ambrose University and Seminary in Calgary, Alberta. By the way, uh, Gordon, before we move on to question four, which will be after the break, uh, tell me a little bit about Ambrose University and Seminary. Well, it's a it's a small university. We have about 920 students this semester. I don't have the final figures, but somewhere in that range. Um, it's about eight years old. It was the merger of two smaller colleges about 10 to 8 years ago. They merged and uh, have been on this site in the southwest corner of the city for that length of time. It's a Christian university affiliated with two denominations, the Church of the Nazarene and the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And we have, you know, a full liberal arts program along with a graduate theological seminary. I'm, uh, I, I'm, I pinch myself at the privilege of being a part of something like this, of serving in this capacity. We'll have more with Gordon Smith right after these messages. Uh, just a reminder, <clears throat> this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We do this show every weekend and have done it for many years and always delighted uh, when you plug in with us. Uh, this is the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN uh, booming across the I-4 corridor. Uh, that's Daytona to to Tampa and right here in Orlando. We're right in the middle of this dynamic uh, area of Florida. More with uh, Gordon Smith right after these messages. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. This is Dennis McKenzie for Families by Design. Strong families are designed by God. Do you want your family designed by God? For inspirational principles for today's families, listen to Families by Design with your host, Dr. Daniel Forbes and attorney Delton Chen. Families by Design airs every Sunday at 9 p.m. That's Families by Design on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. If you're keeping people up at night with your snoring, that's disrespect. What you need to do is get this fixed. Get a Zipa at ZYPPAH.com. Zipa.com. Now, why do I know what I'm talking about? Because I've been in your shoes. I was snoring so loud, my new bed was on the couch. I decided to do something about it, all right? You could do this too. Go to Zipa now, buy it, and stop the snoring. That's ZYPPAH. 
P-P-A-H.com. Zipa.com. Are you sitting here sleeping on the couch? That's terrible. You're supposed to stay close. You're supposed to have that pillow talk, watch the television shows that you like. But no, you're sitting there by yourself on a couch because you snore. So what you got to do is get a Zipa at Z-Y-P-P-A-H.com. Zipa.com. That's Z-Y-P-P-A-H.com. Zipa.com. Happy Z spelled backwards. Order now. Use promo code 301 for free shipping. Even though the calendar says it's winter, here in Orlando, summer can go all year long. That means our air conditioners take a beating. And if your AC is on its last leg or not working at all and you've been putting it off, we've got an amazing radio deal for you. It's called Half Price Cooling. Get a new complete AC system for your home with installation for half price. No coupons, no games, no gimmicks. Go online to AmazingRadioDeals.com right away. Then cool down with the hottest deal in town. Half Price Cooling. Check it out right now at AmazingRadioDeals.com. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Gordon Smith is our guest here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. He joins us from uh, Calgary, Alberta. And we're talking about his new book. It's called Consider Your Calling. We've covered three questions so far with Gordon. What on earth is God doing? Who are you? What is your stage of life? Now, Gordon, here is uh, question number four. What are your life circumstances? Uh, where does that fit in? Uh, Pat, this is uh, a, a crucially important question as well, because the fact of the matter is that God's call in our lives, to use the great line from the book of Esther, is always for such a time as this. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, um, God's calling in our lives is always located in a particular time and space, and in the face of actual circumstances. That is, our life circumstances as they actually are, not as we wish they were. To be, they, they wish they were. On the one hand, this means we live in the economy as it is here in Calgary, uh, with the with the plunging price of oil. The economy has gone into a complete tailspin, and mm. so many people are thrown out of work. Uh, offices emptied. It's amazing how quickly it happened over the course of the last year. And now we have this set of circumstances. This is as it is. Um, another set of circumstances might be that a person uh, was meant to be a gifted uh, concert pianist, but they were in a traffic accident. Their hand was damaged. Now God's call in our life is in light of what is actually the case, not what we wish was the case. And here's where it's crucial, it seems to me, that we avoid any kind of wishful thinking and nostalgia looking back to a golden time in the past and say, no, what is the actual reality we're in? As the president of this university, I could wish my circumstances were different, but that's wasted energy. I need to say, what's the actual content we have? What is our history? What is our location? Because God's call on me in this location is going to be consistent with the actual circumstances I'm in. So I think part of what we need to do in universities and churches and other other contexts is help people to see their reality, to name it. But then, Pat, the crucial thing is that we never name our reality in a way that is filled with despair, which is so easy to do, and disappointment and frustration. But we do so through the lens of Ephesians chapter 3, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. So we look at our circumstances and we name that reality, but we do so not with despair or frustration, but looking for the possibilities of grace in the midst of those circumstances. So it's easy to be overwhelmed by negative circumstances, but uh, we view them always through the possibilities of, uh, of God's presence and God's grace in them. 
But the fourth question is a crucial one. What are your circumstances? And as a little aside, I'll say this. Um, God will lead different people in similar circumstances in different ways. So I cannot assume that I can say to you, well, Pat, when I was in this circumstance, this is what God told me to do. So I presume that's what God will tell you to do in similar circumstances. I want to say, no, we face our circumstances, but they're only one variable, not the only variable as we discern God's call in our lives. Now uh, we get to the fifth question, Gordon. What is the cross you will have to bear? Well, this question recognizes, of course, two things. One, that when Jesus spoke about his vocation, um, he, he spoke about his vocation as ultimately taking him to the cross. And the cross was not something that was incidental to his life, but actually pivotal to his vocation. And then secondly, uh, Jesus says to his disciples, if you would follow me, you need to take up your cross and follow me. And when we look at the examples of vocation in the scriptures, uh, not just Jesus, but the disciples, the followers, and others, we realize that all of them were called to a way of difficulty, suffering, setback, and disappointment. And I wonder, then, if it's not appropriate to realize that each one of us is going to fulfill our vocations in a way that will be marked by the cross of Christ, and that we would be wise to not assume uh, that the way before us is always easy, or if there's difficulty, that it means that this isn't our calling. Rather to say, in what way is the cross of Christ, which is actually pivotal to Jesus' vocation and to God's redemptive purposes in the world, in what way does that cross intersect my life? The crucial thing here is that we don't kind of walk around and, and I, I come on your show and say, well, Pat, what's your cross? And let me share with you what my cross is. I think in the very nature of the cross, we bear it quietly. We bear it uh, winsomely. Um, I don't come home at the end of the day and at dinner with my wife complain every day about the crosses that I have to bear. No, we bear these with grace. And um, I, when I think of Oh, when I think of friends who have remarkable, uh, difficult strain in their lives, but fulfill their vocations with such grace and alacrity and joy, I, I see what, uh, what powerful representations they are of the grace of God in their vocations. But uh, the crucial thing is to realize that uh, some form of pain and suffering will likely intersect the life of every last one of us, uh, and that we need to not be surprised at this, but to actually embrace pain and suffering is something that is integral to the call of God on our, on our lives. Now, Gordon, we have moved to the sixth question. What are you afraid of? Jesus comes to Martha and Mary, and uh, you, uh, your readers will all know this story. Your listeners, pardon me, will all know this story. Uh, Mary is sitting at his feet. Martha's in the kitchen. Martha comes out, complains to Jesus about Mary. And the stunning response of Jesus, Oh, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and worried about many things. And I, um, I, I'm suggesting there that there's been a conversation around vocation over the last 25 years or so that has highlighted the following, that likely the greatest threat to the fulfillment of our vocations is fear. And that when we live in societies, both the U.S. and Canada, that are so uh, permeated by fear, uh, so frequently we miss out on God's call because we simply don't have the courage to do what we are being called to do. And thus Paul says to Timothy in Second Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God that is given to you through the laying on of our hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love, power, and self-discipline. That it's wise for us. I think of, of, of friends of mine who at key moments have said to me when I was at a vocational transition, they said to me, Gordon, what are you afraid of? 
uh, and you realize that deep under the surface of our souls, of our lives, are fears that are keeping us, uh, impeding us, crippling us from being all that we are being called to be. And what I would hope for each one of your listeners is that there's at least somebody in their lives that when they're having a conversation about vocation, work, and career, somebody who can uh, bring out, you might say, the question, so, my friend, what are you afraid of? Um, Because so frequently we come to this stage of the discussion and we don't realize that what's keeping us from the next step in our lives is some form of fear, fear of failure, fear of being exposed. Uh, Who knows what the kind of fears might be. Gordon, you've been wonderful here. We've got more time to talk about your book. Gordon Smith is with us, president of Ambrose University and Seminary in Calgary, Alberta. Uh, the name of the book that is just out with uh, IVP, it's called Consider Your Calling. Uh, there's an appendix here uh, that I find fascinating, Gordon. It's called A Prayer for Those Who Work. Uh, wh- why did you include that? Well, I included that, Pat, under the following conviction, that what our faith communities, our churches need to be, they need to be many things. But one of the things that I long for them to be is that pastors recognize that the inbreaking of the kingdom of God happens not on Sunday morning when we all gather for worship and all of their eagerness for their churches to grow and so on, but rather that the kingdom of God happens on Monday morning. As God's people fan out into every sphere and sector of society, when people, and I want, I want them to get up on Sunday morning, and when they lead us in worship and lead us in prayer and preach to us, that they are preaching to school teachers, artists, business people, and that through our liturgy, our worship, and our, the ministry of the Word, we are empowering people for the work to which they are called. And I, I confess that part of it comes out of my own tradition, where we have a you know, historic practice and tradition that on every Sunday morning we're going to pray for our missionaries who are somewhere out in the distant regions of the world. And, I, of course, I think that's a very good thing. But I long for us to, to recognize that there are school teachers here this morning and that they are, they are the instruments of God's grace and blessing in our city. There are business people here this morning. Let's ask them to stand and pray for them in the midst of this crazy economy. There are people here who are called into public service in the cities, in the states and provinces, federally. Let's ask them to stand and pray for them. That indeed what we need to do is empower people in business, in the arts, in education, to be all that they are called to be. And that that's part of what it means to be the church, is that we are empowering people. And one of the things we do is we pray for them. And I thought if I could include this, uh, this prayer at the end, it would be a way of highlighting all the diverse ways in which God is calling people. And uh, do so in such a way that we, you know, each one of them has kind of a phrase, here's what we might pray for those who are in the arts, uh, in business. And I confess, part of this came out of, I mean, I've done a lot of work with business people, and I just came from a major conference in uh, St. Louis, the Urbana Conference, where I spoke to uh, people who are called into business. And I'm struck by how frequently they feel marginal to the church. They feel like the church is only interested in us because it helps us pay the bills, but they don't really believe that we have a calling, every bit as significant as the calling of the pastor. And, um, and so it's, been, it's an attempt, you might say, to encourage churches to think about the ways in which they can equip and empower God's people for all the ways in which they are called to be parts of the cities, the communities, the neighborhoods, the, uh, the countries of which we are, the societies of which we are a part. Gordon Smith is with us, president of Ambrose University and Seminary in Calgary, Alberta. We've been talking about his book, Consider Your Calling. Gordon, I want you to go back with me, if you would. You wrote a book a while back called Courage and Calling. Uh, what was that about? 
Well, that was my first foray, you might say, into this um, into this whole reflection or conversation about about vocation. I confess, I I wrote that book when I was in the midst of a career transition, and I was trying to think about uh, this very question: What is God's call in my life? And so I read widely, and I went for long walks, and took notes for myself, and eventually um, was in conversation with one of the editors at InterVarsity Press, and uh, he, his name was Jim Hoover, he's retired now, but Jim suggested that I put those thoughts in writing and uh, put a proposal together. So one thing led to another, and during a time of transition between uh, two jobs, I uh, was granted a, a mini sabbatical, and I used that to write a book on, on vocation. Um, and in many respects, this new publication on the six questions, Consider Your Calling, is meant to be just kind of further reflections on that topic. I have found that um, uh, people who read Courage and Calling and appreciated it uh, really wanted to say, well, when all is said and done, what's the heart of the matter? And I, I think the heart of the matter, I've concluded, is the six questions that we've been reviewing over the last few minutes together. And then you wrote another book called Visions of Vocation. Uh, what was that about? Um, no, I don't, I don't. I don't recognize okay. that one. Visions of Vocation. No, I don't recognize that. All right, that that, one. yeah, that that was another IVP book uh, by by another author. Uh, oh, okay. Before we run here, uh, Gordon, I am interested in students on campuses today. Yes, uh, young people, particularly at, on Christian campuses. Right. Uh, you mentioned the nine hundred students. Uh, where are they headed in life, and what what will become of them, and what is uh, the uh, the uh, career path for them primarily? Well, that's uh, I mean that's something that I you can imagine. I think about every day when I drive over to the campus and and move into my office and move through the hallways and step out. I'm wondering where where will these people go? Um, my um, my conviction is going back to my earlier phrase that I used already with you here that uh, God is calling people into every sphere and sector of society. And so probably my, my guesstimate is that about a third of those 900 are going into some kind of um, what you might call religious work as pastors, as church planters, as evangelists, um, as international workers and the, and the like. About a third, I would uh, guesstimate, our, 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 our behavioral science program is quite large and our, um, is quite a large program, or percentage-wise at least. And then we have a faculty of education. And I'm, I'm just so pleased we have these 100 or just under 100 students who will be in the public school systems of, uh, of this part of the world. And I'm, I'm thrilled to think of these young people. They do an undergraduate degree first, and then they do a two-year degree in education. Uh, imagining them in the public schools of our, of our country is something that I find deeply gratifying, people with a very keen sense of, uh, of the calling and purposes of God. And then we have a science program, and uh, science uh, tends to lead people either into physiotherapy and kinesiology, or some of them are on their way to medicine. Um, and so, uh, and then we have a music department, and 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 uh, those are it's a small department, but those tend to be uh, students who are on a classical music track. So you've got the whole the whole gamut here. Well, I'm delighted that we can visit, and I'm so glad you joined me, Gordon. The book is called "Consider Your Calling" with IVP. A good read, and I uh, hope you pick up a copy. All the very best to you, Gordon. Thank you very much. We have more after this. On the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, it's uh, the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. Uh, We do this show every weekend, and always uh, very pleased when you plug in and join us. So stay tuned. We've got another segment right after these messages. 
More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Maybe you've been walking with God for most of your life. Maybe you don't know much about Jesus or the Bible. Whatever your background, the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN invites you to join us each Sunday morning at 1045 for Reach Orlando, a Bible-centered church with a passion to love God, love people, and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the world. Come study the Bible together with Pastor Adam Parsons and draw closer to God with Reach Orlando, Sunday morning at 1045 on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Everybody wants cheap airfare, but where do you find it? You call low-cost airlines. Their prices are direct from the airlines, and they're so low you can't find these fares published anywhere. They specialize in cheap flights, discount hotel rooms, cheap car rental rates, and great package deals anywhere around the world. Wherever you want to go, they can help you get there cheaply and with the best price guarantee. If you want the lowest prices on your airline tickets or other travel services, call now. That's right, call. That's the only way to get these rates. Experts are standing by 24-7 to get you the cheapest airfare and hotel rates available. So don't wait. Call right now for the lowest travel prices anywhere and for great last-minute travel deals, too. Call right now. 800-648-9175. That's 800-648-9175. Hi, this is Jerry Peterson, announcer for Verse by Verse, which is coming your way starting Monday the 8th at 6.30 p.m. Pastor Steve Kreloff is guiding us a verse at a time through Scripture, and he'll be here each weekday evening at 6.30. We'll join Pastor Steve near the conclusion of a series on the Ten Commandments. Then on Wednesday the 17th, we'll move on to a series that has me even more excited than usual. It's about the nature of the church. What is the church? Whose church is it? And who's in charge? Remember, verse by verse, weekdays at 6.30 p.m. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Gordon Smith was with us in that first segment, president of Ambrose University.
Seminary in Calgary, Alberta, uh, talking about his book, Consider Your Calling. Well, we go from uh, Calgary, Alberta, to Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, David Sills joins us. He is the professor of Christian missions and cultural anthropology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and the author of a new book, Changing World, Unchanging Mission, Responding to Global Challenges. David, great to catch up with you, and I hope you're doing well. I am well. Thank you for having me on today. Uh, As we get started here, uh, give me an overview on the book and why you wrote it. Okay, Uh, that's a good idea. I uh, Really, the idea came to me as I would travel around speaking in conferences, taking mission teams, and visiting our missionaries on the field. As I travel so much, I would run into these business executives and other uh, kinds of consultants as they would talk about the ideas that their businesses have for trends of the future, and they would notice that uh, certain um, aspects, dynamics were were developing with technology or with terrorism or changing government. And as they did their research and they would put development or technology in place to be ready for it, I began to notice that a lot of the mission fields that I visited did not do that. We always seemed to be sort of caught flat-footed, and we were reacting rather than being proactive. And I began to wonder, why why can't we as missionaries, why can't we as churches and Christians today also have our eyes on the world around us and be sensitive to the changes that God is allowing or sending into our world so that we are not doing missions as we did back in the 50s and 60s, or even local church. And we're not being sensitive to the world that we actually live in today. And so it began to to evolve from that, and I began to notice aspects of dynamics and missions that either had just happened in the last, say, 10 to 20 years, or were changing the game today, the way that things are developing. Or you can see that these trends are developing, and it's not going to be very long before we're going to have to make some hard decisions about some of those realities and each one of those major ideas sort of became a chapter in the book. Well, let's get started. There are uh, 10 chapters, and I want you to outline them or dive into them for us. Let's start. Competing and conflicting missions. Uh, how, how do you open the book, and what's that about? Well, that's an idea that as we look back over our shoulder through history, for instance, one of the major movement. Um, student movements in missions has been this Urbana Conference. And so many of our missionary heroes, when we read their biographies, we see that there was a period of their time, maybe during their college years, and they went to this conference and they received this great challenge to go to the mission field. And so many people were passionate about sharing the gospel, seeing people come to Christ, seeing church planted, churches planted. But then there began to be a change through the years, and, and there was sort of a shift to think, well, maybe we just need to feed the hungry or minister to those that are hurting and et cetera. And, and people were asking a question, should we preach the gospel or should we minister to the hurting? And it was sort of an either-or binary approach to that when really the answer is yes, we should do both. Jesus did both. And I just began to notice that some denominations or, or for instance, mission agencies were concentrating on one rather than the other, when there needs to be a balance, there needs to be a both and, and these should not be competing missional ideas for reaching and teaching the world today. Second topic I want you to dive into, urbanization and globalization. These two dynamics really have been developing 
for many, many years, but with now sort of a principle of acceleration. If you look way back, even into the Bible days, we see that there's been an urbanization. People have been moving to cities, and countries have been interacting with each other. But just kind of taking them one at a time, the urbanization grows out of uh, an awareness that a few years ago the United Nations told us, according to statistics, that for the first time in the history of humanity, we are more urban than rural. That is, more people are living in the cities than live outside of them. And many of the countries that I go to around the world, anywhere from a third to a half of the population lives in the capital city. In fact, Mexico City is not only one of the largest cities in the world, but 3,000 people a day move to the city. And these kinds of numbers that are growing of people coming to the cities resulting in the the city-fied nature of our world population, well, one of the missional dynamics or the missionary missiological implications of that is that we're terrible in the cities. Well, I, I wouldn't say terrible, shouldn't say terrible, but compared to the success we have seen, the fruit of our efforts in the more rural areas, we have been much less successful. One of the reasons for that is because out in the the countryside, for instance, if we go out into a rural village in sub-Saharan Africa or in the Amazon part of South America, there is one language to learn, one set of gatekeepers to build relationships with, there's one kind of food to learn, etc. But when you go to a major city, like, for instance, New York City, where in Manhattan they speak around 800 languages a day, and in any major city block you will have people from all over the world who speak various degrees of English or have a preference for assimilating into the country compared to their country cousins out in the home country, you just realize that there are a lot of aspects for a city urban missionary to learn and to incorporate that the urbanization of our world today is really giving us a lot of challenges, not even adding into the fact that we tend to live in these tall apartment towers with guards downstairs, and it's difficult for missionaries to really build relationships. But a, a related aspect is the globalization. We are so intertwined today, and many of those people winding up in the urban areas are from different countries around the world. So that we are so intertwined, If you, for instance, if you call the 800 number on the back of your credit card, someone in India answers the phone. Mm. Or you realize as you look through the computer Uh, instructions that came, if you call the tech number, someone in another country answers the phone. We we are so intertwined, in fact, that we have a friend who is a a Peruvian national, lives in Lima, and works for 911 for a city in the United States. When someone in that city has a fire and they call 911, it says press 1 for Spanish, for instance, and her number in Lima, Peru, answers a rings and she answers it and she's looking at a map she's got a switchboard she knows all the right questions because she's been trained is there you know the house fully contained and or, or is everybody safe and then when she gets the information she pushes a button and calls the english speaking firefighters in that city and they respond to the fire you, you think about that level of globalization mm, mm. and even some surgeons in britain just conducted surgery on a boy in another country by computer using mm. a robotic surgery uh, technique. And so when we think about that level of globalization, you, you can't help but wonder how is that impacting 
missionaries today, and how should we go around the world and do the, the work that God's given us to do, reaching and teaching the nations in such a, an urban, globalized world? David Sills is joining us from Louisville, Kentucky. We're talking about his book, Changing World, Unchanging Mission. Uh, now, uh, David, talk about travel, communication, and the missionary life. Yeah, this is certainly an area that is changing in our world today as we think about travel. You know, it wasn't very long ago that missionaries went out and on ships, and it would take them weeks and in some cases months to arrive at the place where they were going to serve. Jim Elliott, one of our missionary heroes, uh, just yeah, in yesteryear, it seems, he went out and with Pete Fleming from California on a ship to Ecuador where he began his service. But And you know, when you think about traveling in that way, as you say goodbye to your family at the dock, there's a sense of sorrow and sadness, and you go back to your room and you're you're praying, and it takes you a couple of days to process that. But then you begin to get excited about your missionary call again, and you're beginning to look back through that grammar book as you get ready to arrive on the field as a missionary. And by the time you do arrive, you have worked through some of that, and you're ready now to hit the road. But now people will go to the airport, and they will mouth the words to their mom as they go through security, I'll text you when we land. And they do. A few hours later, they're arriving in the country of service. They text their mom. They, they Maybe they Skype or FaceTime from the apartment where they're going to be staying, and they're uh, interacting on the Internet with Facebook and blogs and staying with a chat with their friends. They're, they actually never leave their home culture. In the old days, when you would go through stress and culture shock, one of the best ways to get through that is to learn the language, build relationships, and begin to establish your new life. Nowadays, I find that missionaries will often recharge their batteries, by their emotional batteries, just by going back and watching reruns of their favorite TV show online or looking online and reading Facebook pages. There's an old saying that you can't sail to new and exotic lands unless you're willing to lose, lose sight of the shore. And this thousands-of-mile-long umbilical cord that we call the Internet keeps a lot of people today from actually engaging other countries. A lot of missionaries today that are going to creative access countries where they must um, keep a low profile as what they're doing there. Maybe they go in as a businessman, but they're really building relationships and sharing the gospel. But, you know, those, those um, governments where they're seeking visas to come in and live now all they have to do is an Internet search, and the technology of today means that there's no such thing as anonymity. Anyone can know anything about anyone at any time. And so the missionary life has to think about that aspect of technology and travel and how interconnected we are. I was doing Spiritual Emphasis Week uh, for missionaries in another, at a language school in uh, Central America, and as I talked with the students, one of the girls said, well, yeah, I still talk to my mom eight or ten times a day. <laughs> and as she saw the shocked look on my face, she said, well, I talk to her that often at home. Why shouldn't I hear? It's a free phone call because of an Internet-based telephone service that she used. And another girl said that she would watch her favorite show with her mom, which they used to do when they lived in the same city. They would get together and watch it. Now they just get together over the telephone, and they each watch it in their places of of, uh, in their homes where they live, 
And it is. it just made me begin to realize as missionaries, as mission-sending churches, we need to think about parameters for our missionaries as they go out, because how will they really engage the countries where they go if they never actually leave their home cultures? Fascinating, isn't it? Now. I think, I think it's amazing when I think about missionaries that are challenged to build a new life and to reach a new community and learn a new language, and they're constantly engaging with the city that they left back home. Next topic for uh, David Sills, short-term missions. Uh, fill us in. Short-term missions is a has been a growing dynamic for a number of years, certainly back in the days of William Carey and uh, Amy Carmichael and Lottie Moon. We didn't have short-term missions. People would go out, and very often people would never return back to their country of, of origin. But now people with international travel available to us are able to travel frequently. Even uh, students going to college have normally been on a short-term trip somewhere. Back in the 60s and 70s, when this phenomenon was really beginning to develop, a lot of missionaries were not comfortable with short-term missions because they said, you know, I wind up babysitting most of the time. I'm telling them not to drink the water, and then I'm taking them to the pharmacy when they do, and all these kinds of difficulties. Or maybe they create issues with the nationals that the missionary would have to clean up when they left. And so some would say, you know, we, we just don't want to do short-term missions. We don't want to work with those teens. But it has been like the sun coming up tomorrow. You can say you don't want it to come up, but it's coming. And so have grown short-term missions. In fact, uh, Robert Priest from Trinity Seminary says that we are sending out one and a half million short-term missionaries just from North America every year. They go out for a week or two weeks at a time. And that is a lot of people who go out. Now, some people call them vacationaries. Some people say, you know, they're they're just going on a, a missional tourism type of trip. But some go to do great good. They're teaching. They're evangelizing. They're helping to build churches. And people want to be involved in short-term missions. And so most churches will have some aspect of short-term missions in their local church, and maybe even a staff minister who oversees short-term missions. My guest is David Sills. His book, Changing World, Changing Mission, IVP is the publisher. We've got another segment here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Stay with us. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Join Richard Jordan, president of Grace School of the Bible, as he opens God's Word every Sunday afternoon at 5.30 on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. If you missed the Sunday broadcast, you can listen and study along with Dr. Jordan 24-7 at WTLN.com by clicking on the podcast tab and then Riches of Grace. Riches of Grace, a service of Grace Impact Ministries at graceimpact.org. 5.30 Sunday on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. 
Are you worried about losing your home to foreclosure? If you've been threatened with foreclosure or receive legal papers from your bank, you have approximately 30 days to respond. If you do not respond, you could lose your home. You have rights. Act now to protect your rights. You can stay in your home. Many times you can even modify your loan. The bottom line is you can get past this, but you must act right now. Call National Foreclosure Defense right now at 800-989-1838. 800-989-1838. If you've been served by your bank and you're worried about losing your home to foreclosure, now is the time to fight back and save your home. Time is limited, so call right now. 800-989-1838. 800-989-1838. Call the professionals at National Foreclosure Defense right now. 800-989-1838. Do you have enough drinking water at home or work? Whatever life throws at you. This is Florida, and you can never have enough good, wholesome drinking water on hand for meetings, family gatherings, even Mother Nature's wrath. Be prepared with Carolina Highland Mountain Spring Water delivered directly to your home or business. Call now for their Be Prepared delivery special. Individual bottles, dispensers, and coolers. No contracts, no fees. Call 407-851-7144. Online at carolinabottledwater.com. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. David Sills is with us from Louisville, Kentucky. His book, Changing World, Unchanging Mission, Responding to Global Challenges. David, the next topic is called Reaching Oral Learners. Uh, What's that to entail? Well, we understand now that oral learners make up the majority of the world. If someone can take a book they've never seen before and they can read it and understand it, follow the argument of the author, close the book, reflect on what they've read, and maybe write a one-sentence or one-paragraph response, there's only about one out of every five people on the planet who can do that. And that's a little startling since over 90% of all of our resources for Christian missions, evangelism, Uh, discipleship, leadership training, over 90% has been developed for the small percentage of the world that's like us, people that can read at that high a level. And so we realize we've got to engage people who may not read or write anything. We can't go out and take tracks anymore. We've got to figure out how we can process the gospel message into the lives of people who are used to just hearing stories, not reading large bodies of information. Now, David, let's get to this topic, helping without hurting. Helping without hurting is uh, something that we have to address because we tend to have, as Christians, we have an overdeveloped or maybe a, a, a rightly developed gift of mercy. We want to help people. We see a poor person, we want to give them money. We see a pastor who needs an income, we want to provide it. We have to think these things through, though. It, sometimes helping someone actually results in hurting, and the story is often told of a college team that had a young street kid in Brazil that worked with them all week long on a short-term trip. They felt so sorry for him that at the end of the week, they bought him a, a, a new shirt, new pair of pants, and some tennis shoes from a little dollar store. They didn't spend more than 10 or $15 on a new outfit for this boy. And then that night, of course, all the other street kids uh, beat him up and took his clothes from him, and he was worse off than before. 
And that's a little microcosm of what we sometimes do after the tsunami, for instance, when we went in to try to help. A lot of people were wanting to feed all of these people there in the Pac Rim, uh, countries that were impacted. And yet in one of the countries where we brought in all of this rice to feed these people, in another part of that country, they were having a bumper crop that year. And actually bringing in all the free rice hurt those other nationals and devastated those farmers who were who could have been benefited if we had just looked around a little bit to see how can we help without hurting. David Sills is the author of Changing World, Unchanging Mission, uh, Churches as Sending Agencies. That's an interesting topic, David. Well, that's also a growing uh, idea that goes right along with the with the uh, ability to travel, the globalization, the urbanization of the world. They were so interconnected that oftentimes churches will adopt an area and they'll begin to send short-term mission teams. And maybe they'll go back every year, which, of course, I highly commend if you pick an area to go and build relationships. But as they do so, people from their church tend to feel called to go and serve that area. Well, as they look around at other mission agencies and like-minded believers, they realize there may not be a mission agency that could facilitate me getting to that area and doing what I feel called to do. So the church itself says, well, since we already have a ministry down there, we'll send you as one of our missionaries. And those churches, in increasing fashion, are reinventing the wheel. They're getting people on the field in other places. And then, for instance, a new pastor comes in who doesn't share that idea about providing their own missionary. And now a missionary family on the field is sort of stranded. They have to come home and figure out what's next. Or maybe something untoward happens, like a coup, or maybe they're in a traffic accident. And the local church in the U.S. doesn't really know how to interact with the governments or the lawyers or whatever is necessary to take care of their missionaries. It's wise to have a mission agency, but certainly the church is the sending entity. It's just that I think we should have missionary agencies to help them to do what God's called them to do. David, talk about business as mission, another uh, chapter that you dive into. Business as mission is, of course, as old as the Apostle Paul. He made tents to provide his living for a certain part of his ministry, and missionaries today may find that to provide income, they may need to be a tent maker. Maybe they're a university professor, or they teach English, or they are um, a business consultant, and that job allows them to live in another country and to make their living, and then they are also doing Christian ministry there. But some countries are necessary to do businesses' mission because they are creative access countries. They are what we used to call closed countries back in the days of Brother Andrew, but it's just that we have to be more creative about how we get in there. And that's necessary because since the fall of the Berlin Wall, on average about three countries per year close their doors to traditional missionaries. So we have to be creative. Maybe maybe you are a, a sports missionary, and you go in and you work with sports teams, and you are teaching people about North American sports, or you are helping them to interact by sharing the, the gospel during halftime presentations. There are many different ways that people can use the skills and gifts and careers that God has given them here to go to the mission fields and use their business as their mission on the field. Topic number nine for David Sills, changing governments. 
What's happening? We're changing changing governments. We look at the newspaper. We watch the network news on television, and we realize that there is a growing um, acceptance in some countries of Sharia law or a spread of Islam. Or we look into Latin America, and we see the leftist influence of the leftist governor, governments there with even some of the Muslim countries, Arab Muslim countries, coming in and providing funds for major projects there. Chinese government is coming into Central America. In fact, they're even helping to fund a new canal being built all across Central America throughout sub-Saharan Africa. We see that. And we realize that he who pays the piper calls the tune. And so there's not only a provision of finances, but there is a change in the way governments operate many times because of the funds that are coming in. So we look throughout Europe, as we have just recently, through some of the terrorism and some of the things that have been in the news, and we realize some people with sort of a shock that the largest religion in Belgium is Islam. And they realize Europe changed when we weren't looking. And these governments are having to wrestle with new populations, new demographics, and new worldviews that exist in their borders. And now, David, I want you to talk about the Global South Southern Church and role of Western missionaries. Yeah, thinking about all of the topics that are in the book, some people come to the end and they say, okay, well then, what is the role of the Western missionary going forward? And that is a very pertinent question, because there has been a shift of the economic center of gravity, the the missiological, the ecclesiological center of gravity, that is the church, has shifted along with a lot of business, along with a lot of uh, global multinational corporations, to south of the equator, what we call the global south, which has nothing to do with the Mason-Dixon line. We're talking about Latin America, sub-Saharan Africa, and Asia. That part of the world, south of the equator, is now the has the largest numbers of Christianity. More Christians are found in the global south than in Western Europe, the U.S., and Canada combined. They send more missionaries than Western Europe, the U.S., and Canada combined. And so, in a sense, that's a great answer to our prayers. And people say, well, well, then what's our role? What do we do? There is still a lot for the Western missionary to do going forward. But you ask, what do we bring to the table? We don't bring the large numbers of, or the only numbers of missionaries as we once did, perhaps in the past. But what we still have, what God has graced and blessed us with, is theological knowledge, Christian doctrine, sound Orthodox Christianity, that unfortunately, in a lot of the Global South, what we call the Southern Church, or the Christians who live in the Global South, there is a lot of syncretism where they've blended Christianity with other religions. A lot of times the um, prosperity gospel has taken a form that is not reflective of New Testament Christianity. What they need is sound training, teaching pastors to rightly divide the word of truth, and that is one thing that God has really blessed our country with. We can still take that to the world. That is the primary role, I believe, of the Western missionary going forward. David Sills has been our guest. We've got to wrap up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. 
This is Dennis McKenzie for Families by Design. Strong families are designed by God. Do you want your family designed by God? For inspirational principles for today's families, listen to Families by Design with your host, Dr. Daniel Forbes and attorney Delta Chen. Families by Design airs every Sunday at 9 p.m. That's Families by Design on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Well, we thank you for joining us, folks, here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Gordon Smith was with us from Alberta in Canada uh, in the first half hour. His book, Consider Your Calling. And then David Sills from Louisville, Changing World, Unchanging Mission. I invite you to visit my website. It's patwilliams.com, the Twitter page, Orlando Magic Pat. And uh, my latest book is out. It's called Extreme Winning, the 12 Qualities that Extreme Winners Possess. I think you'll enjoy it. It's in bookstores now, and Amazon.com, always a wonderful way to order books. Enjoy church tomorrow with your family, and have a great week ahead here, ladies and gentlemen, in this wonderful weather here in Central Florida. Oh, we love it. Uh, This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. I'm your host. Uh, It's the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this same time on the intersection of faith and reason. The new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com. <laughs> 